commission. Can everybody see the screen okay? So today, inshallah, we'll talk about the categories of shirk, um, but more important, I want to focus more on the dangers of shirk. Um, I think, you know, this is one of, a very, very important topic, and shirk, as we'll see, has different categories, um, major, minor, even hidden. Um, so it's something that we definitely need to first understand why it's so important, why is it dangerous? Why, what is the gravity of shirk? Um, we also need to be people who fear shirk. Um, and so inshallah, we'll talk a lot about that today. And then we'll also talk about the categories and the definitions and uh, further information on shirk. And um, before we get into that, similar to our previous lesson, when we talked about tawheed and why it was so important to study tawheed, um, we need to understand the importance of a topic when we're embarking on a topic. And so how do we judge when something is really important or when something is from the secondary sciences that yes, it's beneficial to know, but it's not going to be critical to your Iman. What things can we use to judge the importance of something or to put something in its proper place? And the reason why I say this is because, and I think all of us are aware of just how much importance is attached to the topic of shirk in the Quran and the Sunnah of the Messenger And generally the scholars of Islam and even you know, academic people, people with academic inclination, when they talk about the importance of a subject, they look at the status of the subject matter and the area in which it is related. And then they also talk about what is at stake with this topic. So the potential gains and the potential losses in this subject. So for example, if we just reflect for a moment on the subject of medicine, what is it that makes medicine such an important and worthwhile subject? Why is it that those people who study subjects of medicine or law, um, engineering, why are these people given a particular importance above and beyond what other people study? Right? So if you look at medicine, for example, medicine is related to human health, right? And if we do it properly, people will live and be healthy by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will live a fruitful life. But if we practice it improperly, then the end result is that people will suffer from illnesses and, and pass, potentially die and things like that. So this is one of the reasons why medicine is so important. Now, if we look at the Islamic sciences in general. To measure the importance of the subject, you'd look at the frequency in which the topic is mentioned in the Quran. How often is this topic mentioned in the Quran? Is it something that is mentioned every now and again? Is it something that is mentioned ayah after ayah? Or is it something that is mentioned in key things that we do every day? Like, for example, reciting the Quran, our afkar, things that we do day in and day out? Or is it something that you just kind of visit every once in a while, once a year from time to time? Also, you have to look at the way this subject or topic is described, okay, in the Quran and the Sunnah. Is this a topic that the wording has a lot of emphasis? It's worded 
in a lot of different ways. It's told from different angles and told time and time again, or is it something that was just mentioned in passing? Also the importance that these scholars give to the subject, right? From the scholars of the companions until the scholars of this day. So we have to keep all of this in mind because when we talk about the definition of shirk and inshallah, we'll do a revision of Tawheed and we'll come back to these questions and kind of try to compare on this scale or on this way of measuring the importance of this topic. Why is shirk so important? So now if we talk about defining shirk, then the first thing that we have to do is a little bit of revision. So to define shirk, we have to first of all revise a little bit of what we already know about Tawheed. And there is a famous line of poetry in Arabic that says, by knowing the opposite, the things become clear. By knowing the opposite, things become clear. So sometimes for something to become really clear, you have to know its opposite. And once you understand its opposite, then you've understood it well. So when we talk about Tawheed linguistically, we know it's the verbal noun of wahada yuwahidu, meaning it is to unify something or to declare something to be one, to affirm something to be one. And it comes originally from the Arabic word wahid, meaning one. If we look at the legal definition of Tawheed, we can say that Tawheed is to affirm the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his lordship, in our worship of him, and in his names and attributes. So the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa in his lordship, which means that Allah is the only Lord. He is the creator, the provider, the sustainer. He causes benefit. He saves us from harm. He's, control, he's in control of all affairs. Okay. All of, only Allah has all of these characteristics and he doesn't share them with anyone or anything else. Now, to affirm the oneness of Allah in our worship of him is that we reject the worship of something else that is worship besides Allah. And we affirm the worship of Allah alone without a partner. And we don't believe that any form of worship in any way, shape or form is deserved to anyone or anything other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not even an angel, not a prophet, not even our beloved prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, let alone the rest of creation, which is far less than him in status. And affirming the, word, uh, the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa in his perfect names and attributes, meaning that we affirm for Allah subhanahu wa what he affirms for himself in the Quran and the authentic sunnah, and we negate for Allah subhanahu wa what he negates for himself in the Quran and the authentic sunnah. So this is a very short and simplistic understanding of Tawheed and a quick revision from what we did um, last time we were together. Now, what about a basic evidence of Tawheed? So if I were to kind of say, okay, that's fine. Um, three categories, got it, I understand that. What is your proof, right? Tell me your proof if, if you are truthful. So an evidence that we can, there are many different evidences that you can use from the Quran and the Sunnah and we talked about this last class in, um, for the proof of Tawheed. So for example, before we get to this verse that's on the screen, we have Surah Al-Ikhlas. Say Allah, he is one. 
Allah is the one who is uh, no, in no need of anyone else and everyone and everything is in need of him. He does not give birth nor was he born of anyone. And there is nothing similar or equal to him. You can also use Al-Fatiha as an evidence for Tawheed. You can use Ayatul Kursi as an evidence of Tawheed. And this ayah on the screen we have is from Surah Al-Maryam. رَبُّ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا فَعَبُدُهُ وَاسْطَبِرْ لِعِبَادَتِهِ هَلْ تَعْلَمُ لَهُ سَمِيَّةِ Allah is the Lord of the heavens and the earth and everything that is in between. So worship him and be in constant worship of him. Do you know for him any similarity? So just, you know, to yourself, you know, if you can try to point out, we said there's three categories of Tawheed. Where in this verse can you point out the three categories of Tawheed? And just do it to yourself and then we will kind of, I'll explain it to everybody. Um, I don't want to take too much time because we have a lot to cover um, in an hour, inshallah. All right, so let's break it down. At the beginning of this verse, we have Rabbu samawati wal ardi wa ma baynahuma. And Rabb is the biggest indicator that now this first part of the verse, we have the Lordship of Allah, Tawheed al-Rububiyyah, okay? And then here we have a command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah is commanding us to worship him and be patient and be consistent in your worship of him. Okay, so because you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the Lord of the heavens and the earth and everything that is in between them, therefore, you recognize he's your Lord, so worship him and be constant and patient in his worship. And then here, do you know of anything or anyone that is similar to him? So here, like we said, we have the three types of Tawheed. Allah is the Lord of the universe. Only one deserves to be worshipped. And nothing is equal to him in his perfect names and attributes. So Tawheed al-Rububiyya is the first part. Tawheed al-Uluhiyya, because we're commanded here to worship him. And then the last part is Tawheed asma'ullah wa sifat. Because there's nothing similar to his perfect names and attributes. So this gives us a reminder about Tawheed. Now, what about a simple definition of shirk? If I was to now ask you, like, what do you know about shirk? Just a simple understanding. It doesn't have to be technical. We could say that, you know, shirk is to associate partners with Allah. And so the word shirk, it comes from um, the verb ashraka yushriku, which means to make a partner or to make something equal or to even give someone a share in something, okay? Or it also can mean to supersede. A lot of times we think shirk just means to make something equal to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but also superseding is a form of shirk, okay? So this is the kind of meaning that we're talking about linguistically. So again, we're talking about making a partner with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
or giving someone or something else a share of what belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In terms of the legislative legal sharia definition, I want to propose a very simple definition, you know, um, something that is mentioned in the, uh, the books of the ulama, the books of the scholars. And uh, I think this definition is really straightforward and easy to understand. And this definition is to give one or more of the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to something or someone else. Okay, so it's very simple, very straightforward. It's for you to give one or more of the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah has the right to be worshiped and Allah has the right to be considered the Lord and creator of everything. And Allah has the right, and, and, and some Allah's rights is that we give him his due with regards to his perfect names and attributes. So if you give one or more of these rights to someone or something else besides Allah, then you are guilty of shirk. May Allah protect us. And so this encompasses those who associate partners with Allah, whether they do so openly or in secret. Okay, we cannot hear you, Sister uh, Sarah. Uh, we cannot hear you, Sister Sarah. I think you have an IT problem. Can you hear me now? Yeah? Okay. No, no, okay, no. Let me go back, inshallah. All right, so, so we're talking about shirk and we're saying that shirk encompasses associating a partner with Allah, whether you do so openly or in secret. And then I was mentioning that there is a principle in Islam, and it's very, very important, especially when dealing with the topic of shirk. And that's the principle that changing the name of something doesn't change its reality. So, for example, you can call something whatever you like. You can call uh, riba traden. You can call it a prophet. You can call it fadl. You can call it whatever you want, but it doesn't change the reality of it. You can call selling alcoholic drinks, you know, whatever kinds of names you like or whatever kinds of names that people call things other than their real name, but the Sharia doesn't look at what the name you give something is. It looks at the reality of that particular thing. Okay, so anyone who's guilty of taking something that belongs to Allah, either part of Allah's names and attributes or Allah being the Lord and creator of the universe or more commonly, giving the right of worship to someone or something else other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then this person is guilty of shirk. And likewise, it also encompasses the people who have, and this is a big problem in the West, this concept of atheism. And this is those people who are guilty of really what is the worst form of shirk. Since in essence, the atheists believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deserves none of his rights. Not a single right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala belongs to him. And sometimes they deny that anything or anyone, um, they deny any or any, uh, every right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of these rights. And sometimes you'll find that 
these atheists, despite the fact that they claim that they have no quote unquote God, right? They don't believe. They give something that we believe is for Allah, it's, it's um, only deserving to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they give it to someone or something else. Okay, either way, they are guilty of shit. And they are guilty of taking the rights of Allah subhanahu taking those away from Allah subhanahu refusing to accept that Allah is the Lord and likewise refusing to accept that Allah deserves to be worshiped and also refusing to accept Allah's perfect names and attributes. So in every case, they are guilty and they're included in the general circle of those people who are guilty of shirk. Now for every category of tawheed and for every expression of tawheed, uh, for every action of tawheed, okay? And this is whether it's something that is in your heart, something that you say or something that you do, for every single category and for every single way we express the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is an equal type of shirk. So let's take some examples. So making dua, supplication. This is one of the most, if not the most common act of worship. Um, and not only in our religion of Islam, but also other religions around the world too. Okay. Um, so how can making dua become shirk? We have to look at, okay, what is the equivalent form in terms of shirk? Supplicating to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we supplicate as Muslims upon Tawheed, we supplicate only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if someone were to supplicate, supplicate to other than Allah, they would be guilty of shirk. Another example would be fear. And fear is an action of the heart. And now here it kind of sometimes gets a little bit complicated because we say that fear is an act of worship. But then we also have something called natural fear, right? I'm naturally scared of spiders, for example. I'm naturally scared of snakes or wasps. So people have natural fears. So now how do we reconcile? How do we balance that? So we have the issue of fear. How can fear become shirk? And what kind of fear are we talking about? And so basically what we're talking about is the type of fear that is only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not a fear of the dark, not a fear of cold spaces or clowns or anything like that. We're talking about a fear that is only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what kind of fear is that? That's the kind of fear that can harm you and can cause you harm wherever you are. No matter where you run in the heavens and the earth, there is nothing that you can do to be saved from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is that kind of fear, the fear of Allah and his punishment on the day of judgment and the fear of the hellfire. That kind of fear that is only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the fear that if we give that fear to anything other than Allah, then we are guilty of shirk. And this happens a lot, unfortunately. Okay, so we have to think very carefully. It's natural to be scared of things, but we have to make sure we do not let that fear reach the fear that belongs only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here are just a few examples. But the main thing that we need to understand is that for every category of Tawheed, for every expression of Tawheed, for every action that is an affirmation of Tawheed, there is likewise an action, which if it is taken and given to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it can become shirk. 
Okay, so it's really important because we're not just talking about praying to other than Allah. We're not just talking about making a sacrifice to other than Allah. Okay, but we're also talking about the acts of worship that include the things, the actions of the heart, the tongue, and the limbs that we discussed last time. Now, the next thing I want to briefly talk about is, I think, an issue that sometimes can confuse people, which is the difference between shirk and kufr. So the difference between associating a partner with Allah subhanahu wa and disbelief. So what exactly is disbelief? And we know that often these two uh, terms are mentioned together, but they're not exactly the same thing, okay? So that the, the reality is that every type of major shirk is kufr. So every type of major shirk is disbelief. If you commit an act of major shirk, it takes you out of the fold of Islam. All of the deeds, good deeds that you've done up until the time you commit major shirk are null and void, okay? But not every type of kufr, not every type of disbelief is shirk. There are types of disbelief that do not involve giving the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to other than Allah. Okay, so think of it as disbelief is a wider topic, a larger circle, and then within it, we have the circle of shirk. So anyone who commits major shirk has committed kufr, has left the fold of Islam. But not everybody who disbelieves, disbelieves because of shirk. Okay, there are other means and other ways of disbelief. And if we look at what takes a person out of Islam, for example, we see that not everything is related to the topic of shirk. And we also know that while we are defining shirk and that shirk can be divided into major shirk and minor shirk, and we'll talk more about that later on, inshallah, let's go back to the importance of the topic. And let's see if now we can kind of use these points that we've made and what we've taken so far to see just how important the topic of shirk is. So we said that the first thing that makes a topic important is the status of the subject matter or the area which is related to. So here we are talking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and there can be no single topic that deals with the knowledge of our creator or there's no single topic that is more important than the topic that deals with the knowledge of our creator, Allah. And there can be nothing that benefits us more in the dunya or the akhirah than knowing Allah subhanahu wa and what pleases Allah subhanahu wa and what makes Allah subhanahu wa angry. When we talk about the potential gains or losses of something, we said that if you practice medicine, for example, well, you can help people by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa to live a long, healthy life. Okay, and if someone makes a mistake in medicine, they can cause death or even a severe illness. But shirk is much, much more important than that. Because we're not just talking about the lives of people. We're talking about their hereafter. We're talking about whether they'll end up in paradise or hellfire. Okay, and that's why there's a very famous statement in Arabic about two dangerous people. Okay, and the two most dangerous people you can meet, one of them is half a scholar and the other is half a doctor. Because, you know, if, if you get someone who has practiced half his degree in medicine, for example, he knows just enough to be dangerous. And likewise, even more dangerous than that is someone who has just a little bit of their understanding of the religion, 
And that's just enough to also be dangerous. If you don't have the full understanding of what Tawheed is, what is Shirk, then this can be dangerous to your um, spirituality, to your Iman. Okay, because Shirk, major Shirk, especially this is like spiritual death. So it's very important that we understand that this is a topic that deals with our Akhirah, our hereafter. And if we get this wrong, and if we misunderstand this topic, then what's at stake here is that we can face eternal punishment in the hellfire. May Allah protect us. Get it right, and we dedicate our to Allah subhanahu wa alone, our worship to Allah subhanahu wa alone, then on the other hand, you are guaranteed eternal life in paradise. Okay? And this is Bible Allah subhanahu wa as we'll see in some of the hadith that we will, inshallah, mention today. Now, if we talk about the frequency with this topic is mentioned in the Quran, you mentioned that every single ayah in the Quran is a proof of Tawheed in one way, shape. Every ayah in the Quran, in some way or another, is related to Tawheed. So, likewise, so Tawheed and the topic of Shirk, likewise. Is something that is mentioned throughout the Quran from beginning to end. It's also the very first command and the very first prohibition in the Quran. Ya ayyuhannas i'budu rabbakum walladhi khalaqakum walladhina min qablikum la'allakum tattaqun. Okay? That's the very first command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Oh mankind, worship your Lord who created you. That is the very first command is, is Tawheed. Okay? And then the very first prohibition is shirk. Do not make part. Do not make partners with Allah when you know that is Allah who has those qualities that are mentioned in that ayah. And all of these other qualities that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He created life and He created death and He brings down rain. Um, he's the one that provides for you and sustains and all of these qualities that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has that are mentioned in that previous verse. The qualities of lordship and creation, while you know these are the qualities of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah warns you, and this is the first warning, the first prohibition, do not make partners with Allah. Okay. We also find that Allah mentioned shirk in so many different ways, sometimes as a command. So do not make partners with Allah. Do not make partners with Allah. And sometimes it's telling of the punishment, right? So the punishment of those who make partners with Allah is such and such. Even to the point where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa that if you, ya Muhammad, if you committed shirk, we would destroy all of your deeds and we would render all of your deeds worthless and you would be from amongst the losers. And this is the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa the best and most perfect in his iman. So here, like the point is that we find wordings that deal with shirk are varied and different. And so now this also shows us the emphasis which the Quran places on shirk. Okay, and really there's no need to comment or to explain the amount of work that has been done, the amount of books written and treaties and theses that have been written on the topic of shirk and tawheed. Okay, it's more than we can even begin to count from the 
beginning from the early scholars right until now, right? And inshallah, just so that we can benefit and um, and I'll go on a little tangent, if you bear with me. And so a lot of times we see that we attend general lectures, right? And a lot of people, we attend lectures uh, very similar to this, which is very, alhamdulillah, very beneficial. You know, we listen to the speaker and then we go home and then we attend another lecture and then we go home, right? And then next thing you know, a couple of years later, it might click to you and say, okay, I don't think I've really learned very much or benefited as much as I thought I would. Right, of course I picked up a point here and a point there, but why is it that I haven't seen the kind of prog progression that I, I would expect from all of these lectures and classes I'm attending, right? Why haven't I seen a return in my investment? I've been investing a lot of hours, a lot of time to these lectures, reading books, attending the masjid, all of these things. Why haven't I seen some of the fruits of my labor? And I think a lot of the problem lies with this, Okay, and a lot of the scholars from the past, they mentioned that something that is a problem in, is understanding how to learn and in the structure of learning, because it's very important that when we learn, we have to learn with structure and we learn taking the easy things first and then the more complicated, you know, step by step, piece by piece, and we go up level by level. So, for example, when you see a university student, he doesn't go a first year student doesn't go and take the recommended readings for the fourth year student and just open the books and start reading and studying those. He starts with the recommended readings for his first term, okay? And then so on and so forth. And that, that's why there is a progression and that's why that person will see himself improving, right? And there is no harm. In fact, there's a great deal of benefit in attending you know, general, general lectures but you know, try also your best to actually read around each topic and to get some kind of, you know, inshallah, structure. So what you do is you start with the most important thing. You start with you know, the five pillars, the shahada, and then you study it in as much detail as you possibly can from as many authentic sources as you're able to reach, step by step by step, okay? And you know, this is a very extensive topic, the topic of tawheed and shirk. It's a very long topic, but what I thought I would do is um, give you some books today that I personally would recommend that you can, you know, after this lecture, maybe go home and read around this topic or further study um, and all that. Because, you know, it, to fit everything into one hour is not, is not really possible, okay? And I'll also mention, you know, these are in Arabic, but I also have some in English as well, but I'll mention to you some sources that I took in order to prepare this lecture for today, okay? And so the first one that I'll mention is, um, is this book here on the, it's my right, I don't know how it shows for you. It's called Tasted Aziz Al-Habid. And this is, you know, one of the best explanations out there of Kitab al-Tawheed, okay? And I think we're all inshallah familiar with Kitab al-Tawheed. And so if we're going to be talking about Tawheed and Shik, then really Kitab al-Tawheed is going to be one of those books that you're going to have to read, okay? And, and, and yes, it's not an easy book um, to read. It's best to read it, you know, with a teacher. But here on, the, on my right, again, interpretation of Kitab al-Tawheed, the destination of the seeker of truth, in my opinion, this is the best English explanation that is out there, okay? 
But the point I'm trying to make is that to get more background on today's lecture, you're going to need to go through, you know, Kitab al-Tawheed, especially the chapters that deal with shirk, and specifically the chapter that talks about fearing shirk. Okay. And then, yeah, and there's the other books, inshallah, um, that are mentioned here. Okay, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to extract, so from Kitab al-Tawheed, the fourth chapter, it's called Bab al-Khawf min al-Shirk. It's uh, the chapter of fearing shirk. So what I'm going to do now, inshallah, is read. So what Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, who is the author of Kitab al-Tawheed, what he did, literally Kitab al-Tawheed is just chapter headings and then verse verses and then uh, narrations from the Prophet He doesn't put any of his commentary on it. Scholars later came and they explained those verses and those ahadith um, related to the chapter heading that uh, Sheikh Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab gave. So what we'll do today is take some of these verses and some of these ahadith. Um, I'll try to do as many as we can today. If we don't finish, we can do it next time, inshallah. Um, that he mentioned specifically in this chapter of fearing shirk. And so what I'll do is I'm going to read that evidence, the, either the verse or the hadith, and then I'm going to take a moment just for you guys to kind of think to yourself, like what you think you benefited. And then I will read you the explanation of Sheikh Suleiman ibn Abdullah, who is uh, one, the author of Taythir uh, al-Aziz al-Hamid, the explanation of Kitab al-Tawheed. Uh, who is going to give you the explanation of like the scholars in explaining this verse or this um, narration from the Prophet So before we actually get into the verses and the ahadith, let's just take a look at this chapter heading. The Sheikh, he entitles the chapter heading, the chapter of fearing Sheikh. So just from that, just think to yourself, like what, what can you benefit from that? So what do you benefit just from the heading itself? And that's something you could just reflect real quick in your mind. And then inshallah, I will give you what some of the scholars have said about just the chapter heading itself. So the greatest benefit we can take is that you have to fear shirk. Shirk is something that you should fear. It's not something that should be taken lightly. It's not something that you consider an optional thing, which you learn about from time to time, right? That is like secondary. This is something you should be terribly scared of. Okay, that's the point. And now let's see what the sheikh has to say about this. And he says here on the screen, and I quoted it for you, since shirk is the greatest sin by which Allah Taala can be disobeyed, hence it has been given the greatest punishment in this life and the next, and that it will not be forgiven except the one who repents. The author mentioned this chapter heading to show that it is required for every believer to fear it, to avoid falling into it, and to know its causes, its principles, and its various types so that he does not fall into it. So what the sheikh has extracted from this heading, just the title of the chapter, is that we have to fear shirk. We have to know about what shirk is because how can you fear something you don't know, right? If you want to fear shirk, 
and you want to, you know, stop yourself from falling into it, then you better know what it involves so that you can stay away from it. You need to know the causes of shirk and you need to know the principles of shirk and you need to know all of the various types and situations that constitute shirk so that you do not fall into it. Okay. All right. So let's look at the first ayah that the Sheikh brings. So here it says, Inna Allah la yaghfiru an yushraka bih wa yaghfiru ma duna thalika liman yasha. So Allah does not forgive that you associate partners with him and he forgives anything else for whoever he wills. So I'm going to give you a moment to kind of just think about this verse. And then I will mention to you what the scholars say in explaining it. And just keep in mind that this ayah is one of the key ayahs that relate to the topic of shirk in general. Okay, before we get into what the Sheikh says, I want to mention, so Ibn Kathir has um, written the tafsir of the whole Quran. And in his explanation of this verse, he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he does in, in explaining this verse, he says that Allah does not forgive the one who associates partners with him, meaning he does not forgive a servant of his who meets him having committed shirk without repentance. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives other than that, meaning other sins, from whoever of his slaves that he wishes. So if you were to die with any other sin except for shirk, if Allah wishes out of his mercy and wisdom and knowledge, he can choose to forgive you. However, if you die upon major shirk without repentance, then this is something that is unforgivable. And so the shirk here, he says that from this, it becomes clear that shirk is the greatest of sins because Allah informed us that he does not forgive it until or unless a person repents. And for other sins, they are subject to Allah's will. If he wishes, he will forgive the person without them having repented. And if he wishes, he will punish them because of it. For this reason, it is obligatory of the servants of Allah to have strong fear of the sin which holds such weight in the sight of Allah. The reason it does, not, the reason it does so is because it is the most distinguishing of things and the greatest form of oppression since it entails degrading the Lord of the worlds, giving some of his rights to which is his alone to others and equating others with him. As Allah said, that those who disbelieve equate others with him or uh, equate others with their Lord. Furthermore, it contradicts the purpose of creation, negating it in every single way. And it entails comparing Allah's creation to him, the most evil form of comparison is compared the needy and the incapable to the one who is capable of all things without need of anything or anyone. SubhanAllah. So here the Sheikh talks about why it's, it's such an evil sin. And he says it's the greatest of sins. And he says that this is a sin that is the greatest form of oppression because it involves comparing the needy and the incapable 
meaning the creation, the human beings that are so in desperate need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to Allah who is free of need. It involves us raising the level of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala up to the level of the creator. And that's why it's the most vile of sins. It's the most evil of sins. The next ayah is وَإِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ رَبِّ جَعَلْ هَذَا بَلَدًا آمِنًا وَجْنُبْنِي وَبَنَيَّ أَنْعْبُدَ الْأَصْنَامِ When Ibrahim said, Oh my Lord, make this city a place of safety and keep me and my children away from worshipping idols. So again, the explanation that the Sheikh gives is that there, he says the reason why Ibrahim السلام, made this dua was because many people have fallen into this trial. So he feared this sin of idol worship. And he asked Allah subhanahu wa to keep him and his children away from worshiping them. And if Ibrahim asked Allah to keep him and his children away from worshiping idols, what do you think about the rest of us? Ibrahim al-Tamimi rahimahullah is one of the, uh, from the best generations of our ummah. And he said, in commenting on this ayah, he said, who is safe from something that Ibrahim السلام, feared? Ibrahim, Khalilullah, the, the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala named him as his friend, feared falling into shirk. Then what about us? If, if he feared it, how do we think that we're safe from it? And if you really think about this, the most intelligent people in this world, for example, think about scientists, doctors, people from all over the world, Many of them have fallen into shirk. Their intelligence, right? The things that they invented, the technology, and all these things that they've done. Yet, when they've passed away, they've passed away and they've met Allah subhanahu wa in a state of disbelief. So their intellect and their brains and, and their uh, innovations didn't stop them from falling into shirk. So really, like, we should also be careful. We should also be scared. Now we have a hadith that the, uh, the Shaykh, rahimahullah, he brings. And in this hadith, the Prophet and then they asked him, the Prophet he said, what I fear most for you, meaning us, his ummah, is minor shirk, a form of shirk. And when he was asked about it, he said, arriya, which is showing off. Okay. And this, it shows us how keen the Messenger of Allah was for us to achieve good. He cared so much about us. And our messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he never left any good except that he told us about it. And he also never left any evil except that he warned us against it. And from all of the evil that he warned, the thing he feared the most for this ummah was minor shirk. And now some of you might be wondering, okay, well, why did he fear minor shirk for us and not major shirk? Because major shirk is worse. And if you think about it, the heart of a believer, the heart of a true believer is not going to be inclined towards committing major shirk, right? The shaitan, what the shaitan does is the shaitan comes to you from different avenues and from different paths to try to, to get you to commit sins, right? And if he knows that you're a firm believer, 
your iman is too strong to commit major shirk. So what he'll try to do is to come to you and get you to commit minor shirk. And by doing that, it leads you to later on go further and further and further until he gets you to commit a major act of disbelief. This is the tactic of shaitan. This is the way of shaitan. He levels step by step. He tries, you know, with the easy things first until you commit something which will lead you to commit further sins and sins and sins and eventually leads you to commit major shirk or leave the fold of Islam. Also, we have to understand that, you know, we've been told that from the Prophet that there will come people from the Ummah of Muhammad that will worship idols. So we should not think that our Ummah is an Ummah that is completely free of shirk, unfortunately, right? And I think a lot of us know we have many Muslims today that have sadly fallen into some of these sins, right? And actions that could constitute either as major or minor shirk. So this, again, it shows that it's really befitting for a person to fear falling into shirk, okay? Especially when even minor shirk was feared for the most powerful people. And he narrates that uh, the Prophet وسلم, he said, Whoever dies while ascribing partners to Allah subhanahu enters the hellfire. Okay. And if you look, um, Imam al Qurtubi was one of the great scholars of our um, Ummah. When he explained this, he said, This means that the one who does not take a partner along with Allah, neither in his worship or in his creation, Right, it is known from Islamic legislation, and it is consensus amongst all of the people of knowledge that the one who dies in this condition of not taking partners with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will enter paradise, even if he experiences other forms of punishment or trials before. Okay, and then the same is the opposite is true for a person who ascribes partners with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and has fallen into shirk. So the point I'm trying to make here is that I'm not saying that someone who is upon Tawheed will be the first to enter Jannah if he commits major sins, right? There may or may not be, you know, um, punishment, but the point is the final destination for a person of Tawheed that has not an ounce of uh, shirk in him, the final destination will be paradise, inshallah. Likewise, the one, a person who dies upon shirk will not enter paradise and he will not get any of the mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he will remain in hellfire for eternity. And this is for major shirk with punishment, okay? And this punishment that will never stop and with time that will never stop for eternity, okay? So it doesn't really make a difference if, you know, 
you claim to be Muslim or not. If you are guilty of shirk, you die and you die without repenting from it, then hellfire is the result. May Allah protect us. I'm going to skip this last verse here because it's very similar to what we just talked about. This We know that it began, you know, about 10 generations after Prophet Adam salam. This was during the time of um, Prophet Nuh, the people of Nuh salam. And the story basically is that Shaitan, he came and he encouraged the people to, you know, first make images and pictures when um, a group of pious people had passed away. And then later on, statues. So he convinced them to turn those pictures and images into statues. And then generation after generation, the shaitan, look, he was very patient until people started to worship those statues, okay? And there are a lot of benefits that we take from the beginning of shirk. And number one is the patience of shaitan in promoting evil. Shaitan is in it for the long run. He doesn't have short-term goals. Everything for him is in the long run. So if he can get you to commit shirk by the time you take your last breath in this life, it's a worthwhile effort for him. Okay? He will even wait generation after generation to instill seeds of doubt, which will then flourish into shirk. So maybe your offspring will fall into shirk. That's one. Another is the evil of ignorance. And we have to think about, like, what is it that made the people of Nuh eventually fall into shirk. It was because of their ignorance, right? Time after time, shaitan came to them and said, you know, we found your forefathers worshiping idols and doing X, Y, and Z, and they eventually fell into it. And Shaykh al-Islam, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, he says that the evil in this world two things, oppression and ignorance. And I think is stopping all things that lead to haram. Okay, because they started with pictures and statues and things like that. Okay, and then eventually people started to worship those statues and turn them into idols. Okay, so there's a principle we have in Islam. We stop all things that lead to haram. Okay, so and, and, and this will prevent us from being like the people who, um, at the time of Nuh, stage by stage, step by step, they went down that slippery slope that led them to shirk. Okay. And then last, um, inshallah, is just the categories of shirk. We already kind of talked about that for every act of worship, there is an equal form of shirk that if you direct it to other than Allah. Um, and then for, there are two categories of shirk. There is major shirk, and this takes a person out of the fold of Islam. And some examples of major shirk is, you know, um, directing those acts of worship. So praying to other than Allah, sacrificing to other than Allah, making dua, supplicating to other than Allah, um, seeking aid, putting trust, you know, love, all of these acts of worship that you do only for Allah if you direct them to other than Allah, then this is a form of major shirk. Minor shirk in the Sharia is defined as anything uh, else 
that is considered shirk but doesn't take a person out of the fold of Islam. So an example for this could be like, you know, riya, showing off. Um, um, yeah, that, that's the main example I can think of, showing off um, the amulets and the things like that that people wear. Um, those would be considered major shirk because you know people wear the amulets thinking that is going to protect them. So they're relying their trust and their hope and they're seeking this aid in um, in something other than Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Okay. Um, so that is all. That is what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has made easy for me to share with you today. Um, if there are any questions. Um, Inshallah, or I know that uh, there's other programs that we have to continue. So, Subhanakallahum bihamdik, Ashadun la ilaha illa ant, astaghfiruka wa atubu ilik. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Shukran for that beautiful reminder and um, informative session. Um, so, I know that you mentioned and, you know, repentance inshallah may Allah protect us from shirk and anything that is related to associating partners with Allah um is there do you are you familiar with any um specific duas because you know sometimes or you know with shirk we don't we may not necessarily know um you know for the minor um minor committing minor shirk sometimes you know you fall into ignorance. So do you know of any specific du'as or um, we know repenting, but any specific du'as, inshallah, that will um, help aid us in keeping away from it? Yeah, um, Jazakallah khair. There are a few. Um, I, what I can do is look, take a look at them and see the, um, the authenticity, but there is a supplication that you could say, it's called the dua for fear of shirk. Okay. Uh, I think it's like, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ushrik bima wa ana a'alamu wa astaghfiruka lima la a'alam. So Allah, I seek refuge in you, lest I should commit shirk with, like, knowingly, and I also seek your forgiveness for what I do unknowingly. So I can send that to everybody, inshallah. Um, that's one that I know. Um, but other than that, you know, you can also make any dua from yourself. You know, Allah, forgive me, protect me from falling to shirk. Um, and honestly, and this is something my teachers also recommend is that, you know, always, always, always go back to this topic. Even if you've learned it and you've perfected it and mastered it, always, always, always go back and review and refresh because you constantly... This is not something that we're guaranteed protection just because we said la ilaha illallah. You know, so we have to always renew that, refresh that um, so that we, inshallah, we can understand what shirk is, what is tawheed, how to actualize our tawheed and how to, you know, stay away from shirk. Alhamdulillah, shakran. Bom, nós estamos, vamos, vamos.
Go ahead, do your closing remarks so that we can move on and just uh, uh, thank Sister uh, Sarah for this uh, wonderful presentation. May Allah reward her abundantly and grant her more knowledge and beneficial knowledge to really, you know, keep us going. This is very amazing. May Allah reward you, Sister Sarah. May Allah reward you, inshallah. Sister Umuzam. We cannot hear you, Sister. No, go ahead. May Allah reward you immensely. Um, one of the most important things that she said is that we need to review this constantly. And she, she also said as a reminder to us all is that we have to master uh, the categories of Tawheed and master the categories of Shirk because we can't go in it half-baked and understanding it halfway. He said the dangers, I think the, uh, the example that she gave was that the dangers is knowing uh, half of, of, of being a doctor <laughs> and uh, half of being knowledgeable. So inshallah, we will review this uh, constantly. Sister Sarah, may Allah reward you. May Allah reward you. May Allah reward you. Uh, if we can make the closing dua, Sister Zulafu, uh, we truly appreciate it. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wassalat wassalamu ala Rasulillah All praise be to Allah, King of all kings May peace and blessing of Allah be upon Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam Thank you so much Sister Zara from being Sarah, sorry, Sarah from, For being part of us today And sharing this beneficial knowledge with us May this be very valuable and beneficial for our, us all as well as generations to come in each and every family members. Miss um, Yeah. May this may this be beneficial to us. Fil dunya wal maut, fil maut wal cover, fil cover wal ahira. I pray that Allah reward you abundantly for this, and accept this from you as saraka tujaria. And I pray that Allah forgive us all, bless us all with true tawheed. Help us follow the sunnah of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to the T and prevent us from all form of shirk. I pray to Allah to guide us and maintain us on the straight path so we don't ever fall into shirk. We take refuge in you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from ever committing shirk with you knowingly and we seek your forgiveness for what we do unknowingly. For you truly know what's shirk and what's not. Sometimes we might end up doing things we don't even know is shirk. Help us, because we do need your help always, Allah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us remember him, thank him abundantly, and perfect his worship the way that is pleasing to him, so we don't deviate and fall into shirk. May Allah accept our effort, purify our intention, purify our hearts, and benefit us with what we heard and learned. Ameen. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Until next time, inshallah, hayakallah, wa assalamu alaikum, wa rahmatullah, wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. And then we have the second part for questions next week, inshallah.
So you prepare your questions and then we'll go ahead. Don't don't worry, Sister Sarah is not gonna give you hard quiz like a sister umzamzam. So may Allah help all of us. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. 